If you read through the Bible, you'll notice a recurring theme that God always has and always will continue to call his people to press forward. To press forward. And so as a disciple of Jesus, standing still is not an option. If you just think, just a few examples, God called Abraham to leave his home and to go to press forward to a new land that God had called him to go to. If you know Moses' life, he, he fled from Egypt after killing an Egyptian, an Egyptian, I should say, and he goes to the land of Midian. He meets a lady. He gets married. He has some kids. He has a new profession. He, he makes his life in Midian for 40 years, and Moses likely thought, this is my life. This is my lot. I'm going to live in Midian as a shepherd the rest of my life until he encountered the living God in a burning bush. And then God made it clear, Moses, I have bigger plans for your life, and you need to press forward. You need to leave Midian. You can't stay here. I have plans for you to go back to Egypt to deliver my people from slavery and to display my glory. You also see that with Joshua. Joshua called him to leave the wilderness to press forward, to cross the Jordan River, to go defeat the enemy, and to, to take the land that God had promised to Abraham many years before. So no, you can't stay here, Joshua. You have to go. You have to go forward and press forward. And there's many more examples, but you get the point that this is God's plan. This is the way he accomplishes his purpose in our lives is for us to press forward. This is the life of following Jesus. To just sit still is not an option. Because the moment that we stop pressing forward following Jesus, the second that we, we stop, then we begin to stagnate. And when we become stagnant spiritually, then we we're no longer growing. We're no longer becoming who God has called us to be. And this is true for us individually, but it's also true for us together as a church. And so I believe that New Life Church has two options before her. She can either press forward in faith, so she can press forward, or, or this faith family can shrink back in fear and in uncertainty. But I believe if this church shrinks back in, in fear and, and uncertainty with, with the, the winds of change that are certainly blowing in, in this faith family, if, if this church shrinks back then and loses her hope and is overcome by fear, then what's going to happen is this church will, will cease to see God working through her. And she will no longer see disciples being made and developed for his glory. You will no longer see the miraculous that we have seen. I mean, I don't have to mention a lot. I can just mention one thing. The reality that we meet in the zoo is a miracle. Do you realize that? Do you know that? That it's not lawful for churches in Abu Dhabi to meet anywhere other than a church compound, a, a government-approved church center. That's required. Grace Church was granted an exception 
for several months while the new building is being completed. So we praise God that Grace Church has a temporary venue. But that expires in October, and we're praying that they will have that renewed until the building is completed. But no church in Abu Dhabi has had now eight years in counting the privilege of meeting in a place other than a, a church center. And the owner works for the police department. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. The hand of God is upon New Life Church. The hand of God is so clearly on this faith family. And if you're visiting or if you've been gone for a few weeks and haven't logged online, then this is going to surprise you. But God has called my family to, to leave Abu Dhabi, and we're moving back to the United States in, in June, in 10 weeks. And we're going to plant a new church, and we're excited. And so we're not running from anything here. We are following God's leading in our lives. But that does not change the reality that this church will continue, and she must press forward in faith, believing that God's hand is upon this church. And God's hand is on this church. So will, will this church embrace this truth and press forward? Or will she shrink back in fear and say, oh, no. Oh, no, it's all over now. And now it's going to unravel. It's always been bigger than any one person. And I assure you, I'm not, I'm not that important. This church will continue. But the people in this room cannot give up. Instead, they must step and so I truly believe that in the midst of these uncharted waters, because this is the first time in our church's history that, that the senior pastor has been called to leave to go to a new ministry. So this is, this is new for, for this church. And so there, there, there's newness and change and uncertainty, and that's normal and that's expected. But we have to fight through that and see that God is calling this church to press forward. And so today's sermon, I'm, I'm calling tenacious trust. That's what I believe this church needs is a, a tenacious, a unrelenting, a persistent, never giving up, refusing to say no, a refusing to, if, if, if you follow mixed martial arts, no tapping out. You keep fighting through it. Tenacious, a tenacity to our trust in God, clinging to the promises of God, a never giving up because of who we are in Christ and who he is holding us. And so it's a tenacious trust that this church needs right now. Not, not a passive, not a submissive, but a tenacious trust. Be strong and full of faith. We are not called to be timid and to wilt under pressure. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of what? Power and love and self-control. So this is, this is the spirit that God has given to his people, including to this body of believers. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be meditating on Philippians 3 with a series that we're calling Pressing forward so that we can we can embrace with all of our hearts and minds what God plans to do through this church 
moving forward because, because the best days for New Life Church are not behind her. The, the best days are still before her. So may, may we be a church that will press forward. So let's begin by looking at Philippians 3. Let's read verse 1. The Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this to the church in Philippi. Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What a simple verse. And yet so profound. Simple, yes, but shallow, no. He says, rejoice in the Lord. You know why this is so profound? Why, why this is so deep? If you begin to think when we're commanded, we're, this is not a suggestion. If you belong to Jesus, he says, rejoice in the Lord. You know why this is so deep? You can't fake it. You can't fake this. You can't fake enjoyment. You can't just make yourself enjoy something that you naturally don't like. So, so guys, when you were dating your wife and she wanted to go to a museum, and you were like, oh, man, I really don't want to go to the museum. Yet you like her, and you want, and you want to spend time with her, and so you go to the museum, and you're like, oh, that painting is so interesting. It's like you, you want to enjoy it, but you're like, oh, I'm not feeling it. Like, you can't just make yourself like that art that you don't like. Or like my wife, like one thing that I've missed living here, honestly, is Sundays after church, I would love to go sit on the couch for at least three hours and watch football. And my first year here, I would go home after Friday, I was like, oh, oh, there's no football on. And I was just so depressed the first few months with no football to watch on Friday after church, but my wife, she, for years, she would sit with me to watch football, and you know what she would do? She would take a nap. Like, that was, her, that was her best nap time of the whole week was Sunday afternoons on the couch with football on. I'm like, how could you sleep? This is exciting. This is awesome. I'm rejoicing in watching football, and she is rejoicing in her nap while the football is on. You can't make yourself enjoy something that you don't naturally enjoy and have no taste for. You can't fake it. You can try, but long term, you can't. But we're commanded, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Be satisfied in the Lord. Find your purpose, your hope, your everything. Rejoice in the Lord. But instead, I think often, if we're honest, we rejoice more in sex, or we rejoice more in money, or we rejoice more in comforts or personal achievements or leisure. And if we're really honest, we rejoice in the Lord. Hmm. And oftentimes, we're not, we're not rejoicing in the Lord. And yet we are commanded, this is not an option, find your joy in me. Left to ourselves, we cannot do this. 
We are incapable of accomplishing this in our own strength, in our own nature. We're depraved. We can't. The Spirit of God must open our eyes so that we can then see the beauty, the infinite perfections of Jesus, see what he did on the cross, recognize our sin, respond with, with repentance and with this tenacious trust in him. He has to open our eyes and give us a taste for God so that we then naturally then want to and we enjoy him and we wants to rejoice in him. It's called the new birth. It's called regeneration. It's called being made new in Christ. That's why church is called New Life Church, because he does this. This is a miracle. Let's ourselves, we cannot rejoice in the Lord, but the work of the Spirit with Christ's work on the cross, making it possible, this blood-bought gift called salvation that we receive by faith. We then, with the new nature, through his spirit empowering us and changing us, we can rejoice in the Lord and taste and see that he is good. And this is received only by trust. Trusting in Jesus alone that he paid the price for our sin on the cross. And so you begin your life with Christ. You begin to follow him this new life, you begin it by trusting in Jesus. But you don't just begin it by trusting in Jesus. You then have to continue it. You then continue growing and following him by trusting him further. So you begin with trusting in Christ, and you continue every day by trusting in Christ. And then one day when we die, we trust it will be resurrected with the new body to live with him, glorified forever, enjoying him with no sin in heaven. And that's what awaits us. Between now and then, we trust. So here's how this works, okay? Tenacious trust is the means. That's what we do. We trust Jesus tenaciously. And the goal, so the end, is joy in God. So the way this begins is you have tenacious trust in God. You trust him. And then the goal, the result, the end that we're, we're, we're wanting, our purpose is joy in God. So we keep tenaciously trusting God so that, so hear me, we trust him tenaciously so that we will then, our hearts, respond with joy in him. You can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. The Spirit does this as we are trusting, looking to Jesus. He produces joy in him. So here's the main idea. Here, here's the truth that's governing our thoughts. is tenacious trust in God results in joy in God. And so unrelenting, looking to Jesus, enjoying him, looking to him. So tenacious trust in God results in joy in God. This is how the Spirit of God works. We keep looking to Jesus, drawing near to him, as he says, abiding in him, being connected to Christ. Things like prayer, reading the word, meditating on him, listening to music that stirs your heart. All of these things that we're doing every day to continue drawing near and, and enjoying his presence. 
as we're trusting him, the Spirit then produces in us this natural overflowing joy in God. So here's the point. We're talking about glorifying God. God is glorified by your joy in him. So God is glorified by your joy in him. And so joy is not an option for a believer. It's not an option like alongside of worship. No, no, no. Hear me. Joy in God is the essence of worship. That's what worship is. The enjoyment of God. When you're enjoying God, your life is going to overflow with worship. With your thoughts, your words, your actions, your everything. And so coming here and lifting up our hands, I love singing to Jesus and singing about him. I love it. I love to sing to him. And so I look forward to Fridays, and I love Wendy, who leads the worship team. And I love being able to come with God's people and lift my hands and just praise him. But, but you can't miss this. Enjoyment is what makes praise an honor to God and not hypocrisy. Hear me. Enjoyment in God with your heart really enjoying him is what makes praise honoring to God and not hypocrisy. See, we have a name for people who offer praise for someone that they don't actually enjoy. We call them hypocrites. That's what we call them. Just think about it. Let me give you an illustration. Say you have a friend. Let's call him Irwin, okay? And then you have another friend. We'll, we'll call him Antonio. Now, let's just pretend that Irwin doesn't like Antonio, and you know he doesn't like him. I don't know why. Maybe he's jealous of his stunningly good Latino looks. I don't know. But Irwin doesn't like Antonio. But then one day, you see a group of people, and they're all praising Antonio and how amazing he is. And Irwin jumps in and says, oh, yeah, I love Antonio. And you're thinking, what? No, you don't. Why are you praising him? Because he wants to fit in the group. Because the group likes Antonio. And he doesn't want to be left out. So he jumps in and praising the person that he does not actually enjoy. That is hypocrisy. Now we come and we praise God and lift our hands and, and sing his praises, and yet we don't actually enjoy God? That's not worship. It might look like worship, but it's not. It's not real. The enjoyment of God is worship. This is the essence. Joy in God is the essence of worship. So a tenacious trust in God is what results in joy in God. And so God is calling you today. Do you hear his voice? I don't know what he's calling you to. Maybe he's calling you to just do something for him that just terrifies you. Maybe he's calling you to take a, a real bold step of, of faith. Maybe it's as simple as 
he's calling you to be a more engaged father and a more nurturing husband to your wife. I don't know. But I can tell you that God is calling you to press forward. That I know. He is calling every one of his people that have been bought by the blood of the Lamb to press forward with a tenacious trust in him. Because that then results in joy in him. And that's the goal. That's why we exist. That's the purpose. So let's look through this text and and see more specifically how does trusting in God lead to greater joy in God. So let's look at tenacious trust, how it will lead you to, number one, tenacious trust will lead you to reject counterfeits. So a tenacious trust in God will lead you to reject counterfeit joys. You see it in Philippians 3, 1 through 6. Let's read that. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So you see here the call, rejoice in the Lord. But then you see Paul, he goes on, When he's talking about finding your deepest joy, he says that rejoicing in the Lord, he says, is safe for you in verse 1. And so having a joy in God actually protects us. It it keeps us from harm. It's safe for us. And so when we're looking for our fulfillment in other things other than in God himself, that enslaves us and we're put in peril. And so a tenacious trust in the Lord will give you the courage and will give you the strength to do what? To reject counterfeit joys. Because what is a counterfeit? A counterfeit is something that looks like the real thing, but it fails to deliver. It's not the real thing. Like, for example, a cubic zirconia. That is a brilliant human-made crystalline substance that looks like a diamond. But CZ is not a precious stone. It might look like one, but at its essence, it's a fake. It's a counterfeit. Now, it's oftentimes sold as a lower-cost option to diamonds, but it's not a real diamond. And so, ladies, if you had your now husband years ago propose to you with the cubic zirconia ring. And he would say to you, now, now, sweetheart, I love you, and I bought you this ring. Um, I know it's not a real diamond. I know it's just cubic zirconia. I know that it's, it's an imitation. But it's really close. And it looks like the real thing. And we'll just tell everyone that it is the real thing. 
And no one's going to question you or not believe you. I'll get a really big one so that we can maintain the appearances and everyone will think that it's the real thing. Well, you should reject that, that imitation guy and get a real man that will value you and buy a real diamond. The real thing, not, not an imitation, not a knockoff, not a counterfeit. We need the strength to reject counterfeit joys. And what you see here in verses 2 through 6 is he mentions the dangers of religion. And religion is a very prominent, it's a major counterfeit joy. Rejoicing in the Lord is not more religion. It's not. And what you see here in these verses is he's describing the dangers of religion as a counterfeit so he describes the dogs the, the, in verse 2. These dogs were Jews who, who claimed that it was necessary to be circumcised, to become actually Jewish religion to be saved. So maintain the appearances. Have an external religion. And he's saying, no, that doesn't save you. Religion doesn't save you. And so he says, we're the ones he says, who worship by the Spirit. And he says, put no confidence in the flesh. So he's talking about spirit and flesh side by side. He's juxtaposing them. And so flesh is saying that that describes dead religion, empty religion, that, that turns the word of God into just a religious list of boxes to check. That's not life-giving. Maintaining the appearance, just going through the motions, just playing religious games. And he says, dead religion, he says, is flesh man-made power, man's attempt to reach up to God. And he says, no, but the, the spirit, spirit, of course, is spirit of God. We have, because of Christ's work on the cross, when we trust him, and his holy presence is what transforms us, and now it's real, and it's a life-giving, life-receiving relationship, and it's not just dead religion. The spirit transforms us. So he's saying it's not about dead religion. It's about the spirit. In verses 4 through 6, Paul gives his, his list of, of impressive religious accomplishments. So he, he was a really great religious person. And by any human measurement, his religion was impeccable. No one could deny it. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he, had, he was blameless by any human standard of measurement from a religious standpoint, he was blameless, and yet he was very far from God. So what he's saying in these verses 2 through 6 is that religious performance is a counterfeit joy. Rejoice in the Lord is not pursue a religion, it's pursue Jesus himself. Religion cannot satisfy, it'll enslave and leave you empty. Why in verse 7, he continues... In verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Any gain I could have had from my accomplishments, my performance, is a loss. He's saying, Jesus is better. We keep drawing near to him, and we don't settle for the counterfeit. Is it possible that you come to church? And that you're doing the religious thing. And you pretend to follow Jesus. 
even though you know in your heart of hearts that you do not enjoy Jesus. You're enjoying other things, but you want to appear religious. And you want people to respect you and to fit into the crowd. And so you come on a Friday morning, but you don't actually enjoy Jesus. You want to be impressive. People to say, oh, look, he goes to church. That's not the point. It's going to leave you empty. You won't accomplish what God's calling you to do. You're going to live a life that is devoid of the Spirit's work and transformation. That's just dead religion. So what we're seeing here is that we are called to hope in Christ. Not in what we can do for him. When Paul describes that it's safe for you, I believe one application from looking at this text together is that we can so easily look at our accomplishments and want to subtly justify ourselves by our accomplishments. And so we do the religious thing. We even serve and we put money in the offering bag. And we're, we're doing all of that because we're hoping that it's going to impress God. And then he'll give us what we really want. And so we serve God out of selfish motives, and it's no longer worship. It's about us, not about him. So if you lose your joy, is it possible that it's because you have been serving and it's not actually worship? You have drifted away from Jesus, and so you're serving in your own power, and it's not actually worship, which is, again, enjoyment of God. And so hear me, joy in God protects you from serving God for the wrong reasons. And so having joy in God actually protects us so that we will serve him, but for the right reasons. So if you've lost your joy in serving, if you've lost your joy in God, then you have to take inventory and say, well, what's going on inside? Why? Why have I lost my joy in Christ? Something is not right. Plead with the Spirit to open your eyes to reveal what's happening inside of you. Is there a sin that you are not repenting of, that you're living in, that is robbing you of that vitality, and so you're feeling empty and burnt out? I can't tell you that Jesus will, will receive you if you repent and run to him with this tenacious trust. He's going to receive you back. We need the Spirit to open our eyes to see more worth in Jesus. Why he says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Jesus is better. Have you settled for a counterfeit? And then tenacious trust that rejects the fakes. Number two, tenacious trust will lead you to know Jesus. So this tenacious trust will lead you to really know him. Verse 8, continuing in this paragraph. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Man, that's just beautiful. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So think of everything that the world says that you should that you should have that will make you happy. If you just have this, you'll be happy. You know, your own achievements and comforts and physical pleasures and security. If you just have this, you'll be happy. Paul says, whatever gains you have, he calls them refuse 
rubbish, trash, compared to just knowing Jesus. We become like a hamster who is running in his wheel but actually going nowhere. Not pressing forward if we're pursuing anything other than Christ as our all, as our deepest joy and purpose. So this call to press forward is the call to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And that, seeing more worth in Jesus, is what would lead you to count everything else as loss, as he says here. Knowing Jesus. Not, not academic, religious. I'm talking about a real relationship with him. Wherever there is a loving relationship that's built on trust, there's a desire for more. And so think about it. For those of you that, as a couple, you, you have a meaningful relationship with your husband your wife, it's built on trust, and you're in love, and you enjoy each other. You want more time together, not less. Because when you're in loving relationship, you want more, more of the other person. You want to enjoy them further. So in the ultimate sense with God, where there is true grace, there is a desire for more of his grace. And so this, the presence of of the Spirit creates in us a hunger for more, to know Him more, to really just to know Jesus, to know Him more intimately. Which is why in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. He says, don't be an alcoholic addicted to wine. He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is not boring. He's addicting. He's comparing, don't be addicted to wine, be addicted to the Holy Spirit. And so the proof that you have this Spirit is that you want more. And you can't get enough. You want more of Jesus. You want more of God, more of his presence, more righteousness, more. You want more of him. And so you just, you can't have enough. You want more. And so the, the evidence that you have the Spirit is that you want more, that you want to keep knowing Jesus more. And so a continued indifference to knowing Jesus more is evidence that you might not actually know Jesus. So do we long, do we desire to press forward with Jesus as our greatest treasure? We're just knowing him is our all. So the pursuit of Jesus is evidence that you have genuine faith in him. And so this tenacious trust allows us to know Jesus. Number three, tenacious trust will lead you to real change. Not surface level change in our effort, but this tenacious trust leads us to real heart and life change. Verse 9. So he says that he wants to just know Jesus in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith here. Righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So righteousness, truly living a life that is righteous, that is holy, that is increasing and in God's character, is one that depends upon Faith, tenacious trust, continuing to trust him. You can try to change in your own strength. You won't get very far. It'll be superficial change. But faith, true 
trust in Jesus, what it leads to is a deep heart change and healing and freedom and transformation. He says, not having righteousness of my own, not in his own power ability, but the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If you want to change, you need tenacious trust in Jesus. You keep looking to him. You keep trusting him. You keep reading the word and meditating. And you keep praying. You keep abiding in Christ. And so joy comes from being satisfied in Christ. So joy in Christ comes from being satisfied in Christ. Well, just think about it. After you eat a delicious meal and you're so full, do you want to eat one more thing? No, because you're too full. You're, you're content. You're satisfied. You don't want anything else to eat. So is your soul full and satisfied in Christ? So when temptation comes, it doesn't really have that much of a draw on you because you're satisfied. You're like, no, I'm good. I'm full. I don't really want to eat that. I'm, I'm, I'm content. No, I have Jesus. I don't really want that that sinful pattern because that's going to draw me away from Jesus and cloud his presence. And I want Jesus more. I want to change. And so real change comes from this tenacious trust. So if you find yourself being really drawn to sinful patterns, then your soul is not full. It's hungry and you need to feast on Jesus. Real change depends on, we see here, faith. So this tenacious, ungiving up trust in God. Now, let's just be clear. This is going to be hard. This is going to be painful because that sinful pattern that you've been going to, that's been kind of keeping you going, if you give that up, you're going to be in pain because that has been your emotional morphine. And, and, and you stop taking it and you're going to feel the pain. You stay in that pain and you keep tenaciously trusting in Jesus and crying out to him, let him heal you and change you, and then you won't need that morphine anymore. And so what I'm saying here is faith that, or change that depends on faith is the key. Jesus is better. Trust him to fill those gaps. Trust him that he really will change you and fill you and satisfy you. So tenacious trust leads to real change. Number four, as we wrap up, tenacious trust will lead you to press forward. We come full circle on the theme here. This tenacious trust leads us to press forward, verses 10 through 12, as we finish off this paragraph in this sermon. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Man, we are so weak and so broken and so deficient. And in our own strength, we can't press forward. We, we can't. But in Christ... We have his power. We have his presence. We have his resurrection, our own resurrection, and future promise 
physical resurrection. We have everything that we need. We are empowered. You, you have what you need right now to press forward. You're lacking nothing. You have it in Christ. And he says, even in suffering, even in suffering, you see in verse 10. So even in hardship, even in disappointment, even in uncertainty, he empowers us to press on, it says. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Did you hear that? Because we just read in the previous verse that he wants to gain Christ. And then here what you see is as he's pressing forward, it's actually Christ that's gaining him. And so, yes, you want to gain Christ, but the reality is the whole time it's him that's gaining you. And you belong to him. That's what you see here. He has made me his own. You belong to Christ. This is the key. We see the glorious gospel here of his mercy. He has bought us and we belong to him. And so the key to pressing forward is knowing and believing that you belong to Christ and you have a purpose. And when you have uncertainty of your pastor being called back to Texas and you're unsure what's going to happen or uncertainty in your own life, you can press forward. You can because of who you belong to. So we trust Jesus tenaciously. You believe that you belong to him, that he has chosen you, that he has redeemed you, that he has saved you, that he has called you, and he has put you here in Abu Dhabi for a time such as this. And it's not by accident. And he's empowering you to press forward. Remember, you're thinking, but I'm afraid. You still press forward. You think, but I'm in pain. You still press forward. Maybe you think, but I don't know if God can actually use me. Yes, he can. You still press forward. Maybe you think, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. You still press forward. You press forward. I'm pressing forward. Say it with me. I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing forward. I'm not, I'm not staying behind. I'm pressing forward. I'm going where God's calling me. You're going where God's going to call you. Don't you give up. You keep pressing forward on whatever God calls you to do. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That is what gives us the courage and the strength to reject the counterfeits. The surpassing worth of Jesus Christ gives us the strength to really know him more intimately. The surpassing worth of Christ is what gives us strength to have real change and to press forward in what he is calling us to do. There's still a city to reach here in Abu Dhabi. God so has plans. Let's keep pressing forward for the glory of our King. Father, we worship you today. We are in awe of your beauty, of your goodness, of your presence in our lives. And we know that we, by the work of your spirit, we have seen the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are in awe. And we want our lives to simply be a reflection of his glory. 
and we want to press forward with this tenacious trust, knowing that we belong to you and that you will never give up on us. And any gain that we have is your mercy. It's all about you, Jesus, and we praise you. We praise you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.